grab our Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. And uh, we started a series last week on the letters, the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, last week we looked at the letter to the church at Ephesus, and today we are looking at the letter to the church at Smyrna. And as we discussed last week, these were actually um, messages that were dictated by Jesus after his resurrection to the Apostle John while John was imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, there were seven prominent churches in Asia Minor, and Jesus wanted to get messages to the leaders of those churches, so he had John write down these, uh, these dictations and send them out to the churches. Wanted to focus on these because I believe that that the message that the Lord had to these seven churches are relevant for us today. How many know the Word of God is alive? Right? It's not just words on the paper and on an ancient book that is obsolete and antiquated for us today. The Word of God is living, it's alive, it's powerful, it's relevant, it's pertinent to us today. And so we're going to look at the letter to the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2, and we're in verse 8. Revelation 2, verse 8. And to the angel... Uh, or the Greek word there actually means messenger, or to the pastor, of the church in Smyrna write this, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So, Father, help us, Lord, to understand not only, Lord, what this letter means to this ancient church, but, God, the message that exists for us today in the Mission Church and even in the United States, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the church in Smyrna was a real church, an actual church, and it was a church that was under intense persecution. To fully appreciate the persecution that they faced, we need to understand two things about Roman culture in which this church in Smyrna existed. Two things, Pax Romana and emperor worship. Two things that drove the persecution of the church. Pax Romana literally means Roman peace. It describes the the perceived greatness of Rome and the pride that the people felt about being Romans. The success of the, of the Roman Empire in that day provided peace and prosperity to its citizens. And because of that peace and that prosperity, the citizens felt intense national pride about the greatness of their nation, something akin to what we would call American exceptionalism. And under Pax Romana, 
There was this, this infrastructure of roads. There were trade routes in the seas. There was justice and protection under laws. The seas were cleared of, of pirates. The roads were cleared of threats and dangers and thieves and robbers. Citizens were no longer under the oppression of local tyrants, but they were under Roman rule of law. Under Pax Romana, your business could prosper. Your children could be educated. Your, your home would be safe. Your wealth, your, your possessions, all you owned would be secure because of the greatness of Rome. And the people actually came to believe that their nation was a divine creation, that it was a product of the gods. And if Rome was a divine creation, which is what the people believed, then it only made sense that Caesar, that the emperor himself, was a divine being. And because Rome is divine, and Caesar, they thought, was divine, then of course Caesar should be officialized and recognized and worshipped as a god. And as you worship Caesar as a god, you're demonstrating fealty to the Roman Empire. And so by the time of Emperor Domitian, around the same time that the letter to Smyrna was written, emperor worship was no longer voluntary, it was compulsory. Once a year, every citizen was required to report to the local pagan temple and burn incense on an altar to the godhead of Caesar. And in doing so, each person would receive, actually receive, a certificate to verify that they had worshipped the emperor. And it wasn't so much that this certificate gave proof of a person's religious devotion, it was more a test of their political loyalty. And once you had this certificate, this, this proof of political or national fealty, you could enter the marketplace, you could purchase goods and food, you could participate in community life, your children could be accepted and educated, your, your business would be respected and solicited. But anyone who refused to burn incense, incense to Caesar and therefore could not have a certificate of cultural compliance was considered a traitor to the empire was considered an outlaw and would be cast out of society. This brings us to the city of Smyrna. Smyrna was no ordinary city. It was the epicenter of national pride. It was the origin, literal origin, of emperor worship. One historian writes, in, in, in 196 B.C., Smyrna was the first city in the world to erect a temple to the goddess of Rome. In AD 26, Smyrna competed with six other cities for the right to erect a temple to the godhead of Tiberius, the reigning emperor, and won it. Smyrna was the enthusiastic center of Caesar worship. It was the first city to recognize and worship Caesar as God. It was the first city to establish a temple to burn incense to Caesar. It was the first city to provide certificates proving your loyalty to the state. And this was a problem for the Christians living in Smyrna. 
because no Christian could burn incense to any man, Caesar or not. No Christian could call a man God. No Christian could receive a certificate verifying his loyalty to the belief of Caesar as Lord. No true Christian could give the title Lord to a man and worship him. That was reserved for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So the Christians refused to worship at the altar of national pride. They refused to bow before Caesar, call him Lord, or pledge allegiance to a political idolatry, which means the Christians became outlaws, outcasts, subject to persecution and alienation at any time. Let's be clear how this worked. If you didn't receive a certificate of incense, you could not buy or sell, or participate in business, or be part of community in Smyrna. You were branded an outlaw, a traitor to the state, your land, your property, your business would be confiscated. Your children would be taken away. You would be homeless, literally wandering the streets, if not arrested and put in prison. These were the people to whom Christ was writing. The first thing that I want us to notice about how Christ presents himself to this church and how he comforts them, we see in verse 8, verse 10, and 11. Verse 8, he says, I am the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Verse 10, he says, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And verse 11, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Jesus did not promise his followers a life free from pain or persecution or death. What he promised them was victory over death. Are you getting this? Because this is so important for us to understand today in the 21st century American church. He doesn't tell them, I'm going to deliver you from prison or suffering or tribulation or poverty. He tells them, you will face these things, but endure. Because this world is not your home, and this life is not the end, and in eternity you will receive the crown of life. That's where Jesus points their hope. Which tells me that today we must be careful of promising things to people that Jesus never promised. Much of what we hear today, hear me church, much of what is being broadcast today is not a biblical gospel in America. It is an Americanized Instagram gospel that focuses not on the promises of eternity, but on the promises of peace and prosperity in this world. It's a self-help, motivational, feel-good gospel that promotes how good you should have it and should expect to have it here in this life. We see it all over social media and the memes that pop up on our feeds. 
God is positioning you. God is promoting you. God will give you double for your trouble. Angels are being released for you. Favor is coming upon you. Your time has come. Your setback is just a setup for your comeback. God is prospering you. This is the Instagram gospel of America today. But tell that to the Christians living in Smyrna. Try to sell that gospel to the Christians today in Iran or Afghanistan or China or Nigeria. Christians in Nigeria who are being slain, who are being taken into slavery by Boko Haram or by the Fulani Islamic militants. Last year, 2021, 3,000 Christians in Nigeria were killed. Most were hacked to death by machetes. And you know what amazes me more than the spiritual cotton candy all over the internet today? What amazes me more is the tens of thousands of people who like it and share it and follow it and repeat it. We are creating a generation of Christians today in America with such a flimsy faith that have no capacity for endurance and for the resilience and for the sacrifice required to live as a Christ follower in this fallen, broken world. When Jesus sent word to the persecuted people in Smyrna, Smyrna didn't get a prosperity, health, and wealth gospel. God is working all things together for your good and just is going to bless you kind of message. What did they get? Verse 10, this is what they got. The devil is about to throw some of you in prison. You will be tested. You will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Imagine an opening, opening your Instagram and getting that on your feed. He didn't send them promises of good things to come. That was not the message. He revealed himself as he who is dead and has overcome death because most of them would suffer and die for their faith and needed reminding that death is not the end and that peace and prosperity in this life is not our focus. Yeah, I know, this is, not a, this, is, this is not a commonly heard message. Some of you are processing it right now. Wait a minute, that's not what I read on Facebook this morning. Which brings us to the next thing we notice about Christ's words to this church. Verse 9, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He says, I know your works. The Greek word there is ergon. It describes the difficulty of, of effort, how, how hard the work is. And Jesus is saying, I know how hard it is for you to follow me in that culture. Your tribulation. The word for tribulation means anguish, affliction the trouble that you're in. I know the anguish that you're facing right now. You've lost your assets. You've lost your businesses. You're wandering the streets. And your poverty, he says. The Greek word there literally means to resort to begging. 
to literally be homeless. That's what it meant to be a Christ follower in Smyrna, in Roman culture, during Pax Romana, an emperor worship who refused to bow and conform and pledge fealty to a corrupt human system. But note how he adds this, you are rich, parenthetically. You are rich, not rich by Rome's standards, but not rich by this world's standards, of course not. You are rich in Christ because of the reward you will receive in heaven for faithfulness. There is, listen, there is a reward in eternity for those who will remain faithful through suffering. Unless you think that you could fly under the radar in Smyrna, you know, maybe, maybe there'd be a black market for some fake certificates because that actually happened. Yeah, you wouldn't have to emperor, go worship the emperor, but you could pay and you could get yourself a fake certificate, right? There was another factor that made this even difficult. History shows that in Smyrna there was a, a strong Jewish community, but the Jews resented the Christians proclaiming Christ as the Jewish Messiah. And so the Jews actually went to an extra effort to target and to out and to expose and to shame the Christians there who would not conform to Roman culture. Jesus calls it the synagogue of Satan. That's not to say that Jewish synagogues are of Satan. That's not what that means. It means that in that city, there was a particular institution, an organization that called itself a Jewish synagogue that was focused and concerned mostly with outing, exposing, shaming Christians and bringing them under condemnation. There was an evil behind it. Even though it looked religious, even though it looked sophisticated, even though it looked successful by worldly standards, it was driven by the devil who hated the church and hated the Christians and hated the Jesus whom they worshipped. That's what was driving it. So let me cut to the point of what this means for us today, for those of us who have not yet made the connections. Allegiance to Christ will be tested. That's the message that Jesus gave to the church. Allegiance to Christ will be tested. Do not underestimate the evil in the culture today. Everybody say today. The evil in this culture that hates Christ and hates the church and hates Christians, and is building a momentum to unleash its wrath on the church. Now you might say, come on, Pastor Greg, come on. You need to lighten up a little bit. You're just being dramatic, hyperbolic. You're, just be, you're sensationalizing all of this. You know, it, it used to be hard to imagine how it could happen. But we've seen some things in America to show us how quickly things can turn. I mean, what we've been seeing over the past year, two years, with all the shutdowns and the mandates and the, and, and the forced exclusions of the non-compliant, the freezing now of bank accounts, 
All it is is a dress rehearsal for the persecution that's coming to the church. People losing their jobs, being prohibited from buying and selling, barred from grocery stores, businesses shut down, social media censorship, like I said, bank accounts being locked up. All it takes is for our biblical convictions to be labeled as bigoted, microaggressive hate speech. And Christians and the Bible will be outlawed and marginalized and unable to buy and sell or participate in society. Think about it. I mean, all that's been going on over the past couple of years with COVID, do we really think that it was just about COVID? Think about this. I mean, do you really think that the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, really cares whether or not people get vaccinated or wear masks? These mandates, these forced controls, I believe it's just a practice run. It's just a dress rehearsal for state-sanctioned mandates against those who hold biblical convictions and oppose the darkness and the decadence and the delusion now gripping the culture. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now let me be clear. I am not saying that vaccines and masks are the mark of the beast. I am not saying that. Okay? I'm not saying that if you get a vaccine that you are taking the mark of the beast and you're worshiping the Antichrist. I am not saying that. Okay? So don't send me an email. What I'm, here's my point. Don't miss the point that I'm making. All I'm saying is how quickly the systems of this world can be twisted and manipulated into instruments of the enemy to force our compliance or punish our refusal to do so. There's coming a day when those systems will be twisted against the church. And it has nothing to do with COVID and nothing to do with vaccines. It won't be an emperor that we're being told to worship. It will be an ideology. That as long as you agree with that ideology, as long as you burn the incense of political fealty, you can get your certificate and you can participate in culture. But Jesus said to the believers at Smyrna, he said, get ready because there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. And he was saying there's something happening in your culture that you cannot be a part of. The devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation, he said. Be faithful. Everybody say be faithful. Today I'm saying the same thing. Church, we need to prepare because there's a storm coming. Now thank God we are not persecuted in the United States. Okay, Stop saying you're persecuted, you're not persecuted. We, have, we don't even know what real persecution is yet, okay? But I believe there's a storm coming. I see a day when Bibles will be burned in the streets. It will be branded hate speech. And those who ascribe, who are devoted to the Bible, will be called haters and 
terrorists, propagators of hate speech. I see a day when churches will be labeled, churches that are true to the Bible, will be labeled hate groups and shut down by the police. I see a day when pastors will be arrested, handcuffed, and jailed as terrorists. And preaching the Bible will be outlawed as violence. Why? Because we preach the Word of God. Because we refuse to bow to the idols of cultural ideology. Now, it's already happening. It's already happening. I mean, you see it in other countries. In Finland, just this past week, a member of parliament, a Christian, is now on trial right now, charged with hate speech and incitement against minority groups for stating, simply stating, what the Bible says about homosexuality, that it's unnatural and a sin against God. She could end up in prison. Member of Parliament. A pastor of a North London church was arrested under the UK's Public Order Act for allegedly making homophobic comments during a public sermon. Basically, when you hear that, homophobic comments, it basically means that he preached what the Bible says. A Vancouver preacher was arrested for anti-gay hate speech when preached the biblical view of homosexuality, sentenced to 12 months of community service, and is not allowed to possess an electronic loudspeaker during his 12-month conditional discharge. A Canadian law banning so-called conversion therapy went into effect this year, makes it a crime to provide or to promote services intended to use the Bible or the Christian faith to, in, to change a person's sexual orientation or gender expression. And it's happening in the U.S. A couple of years ago, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop refused to make a cake for a same-sex wedding because he said that same-sex marriage goes against his religious beliefs and was charged with discrimination under Colorado's anti-discrimination law. It went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court basically punted it back to uh, Colorado and said they need to review it again. We're seeing it today. Teachers who could lose their positions, employees who could lose their jobs, pastors who are accused of speech violence, if we don't use the right pronouns or have politically correct views on homosexuality and transgenderism. That's where we're at today. Now, honestly, I don't care. Well, I, I, I mean, I care, but it's really not a matter to me personally if someone wants to live in sin, if they make that choice to reject God, that's between them and God. Amen? between them and God. But when you tell me that I can't warn them of their sin, when you tell me that I can't tell them that they need Jesus because God will judge sin in eternity, guess what? I'm going to preach the Word of God. Right? That's what we do. I mean, it really doesn't matter to me if two homosexual men, you know, want to get married what they do in their private lives is up to them, right? It's between them and God, right? But when you tell me that I have to agree with them, 
and I have to affirm them, and I have to approve them, then I must say no, because I stand on the Word of God, the Bible, which says homosexuality is a sin. And that's, as sinners, we need to repent of sin, just like adultery is a sin, and pornography is a sin, and unmarried heterosexuality is a sin. And all sin needs to be repented of, and Christ needs to be received as Savior, because one day we will all stand before God. And if you tell me, if the state tells me that I can't say that, and that to say that it's hate speech or it's speech violence, I'm going to say, you know what? It's the Word of God, and I'm going to declare the Word of God. And look, if, if an adult man wants to identify as a woman and take hormones and have surgery, it's a free country. You can do whatever they want an adult male, right? But if you tell me that I'm not allowed to say that such acts are a rebellion against God because it rejects the identity that God has given to an individual, if you tell me that I have to use their pronouns or else I will be accused of violence and microaggressions, if you tell me that I can't preach against giving 12-year-old children puberty blockers and surgically mutilating them at the age of 16, or I can't stand against allowing some elementary school psychologist to reassign their gender in school behind their parents' back, I'm going to tell you that it is a delusion and an abomination against the Word of God. Now, why am I telling you this? Because as a pastor, my calling is not to tell you how much peace and prosperity you can have in this life. My calling is to prepare you to be faithful even unto death. Let's not confuse what being a pastor is all about and what you should expect from your pastor. Because I believe a storm is coming. I don't know when, I don't know how fast, but I believe it's coming. It's not gonna, it may not be an instantaneous thing. You may not wake up one morning to a headline. It's probably going to be more like an erosion month by month, year by year. You're going to see standards that are going to be loosened and things in the culture that are going to start to become more acceptable where society moves gradually into a hardened resistance against the truth of God's Word where there is more a, a calcified cultural defiance against God and His Word. Already we're seeing it. Already. There was a, a Gallup poll that just came out, it just came out, that reveals about 21% of Generation Z, which is ages 18 to 25, 21% identify as LGBTQ. 21%. Gallup poll. Now understand this. That statistic has more than doubled from the millennials, from whom 10% said they identified as LGBTQ. And then from Gen X, the prior generation to the millennials, it was just 4% who identified as LGBTQ. And the boomers, my generation, who just said 2.5%. Do you understand how things have accelerated 
from my generation to the generation of the 18 to 25-year-olds now. Do you see how quickly things are escalating? I'm not making this stuff up. We're going to see it more and more in party platforms and political messaging and mainstream media. We're already seeing it. The lies, the delusions, the perversions will become more and more common and more and more accepted. In fact, that's why I wrote a book called Pressure Points. And you can get it. It's out in the lobby. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. Pressure Points. Now you might say, oh, this was all about you selling the book. Listen. I do not get any proceeds, zero, from these books. Nothing. Every profit goes back to the church for the being able to print more books and sell them. goes back into missions. Okay? So I'm not getting any. I wrote the book simply to, to declare and to enunciate and articulate the issues that we are facing in our culture. Right? and to identify that there are certain moral issues that culture is pressuring the church to accept as normal, and it's happening. It's happening, right? So I actually wrote it two years ago, and then COVID hit, so I wasn't able to release it. So it's been sitting here in boxes, right? So we're going to do a formal uh, release soon, but I'm going to encourage you to stop out there, pick, pick up pressure points, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, all right? Ten bucks. I don't get any of it. Just clear, okay? Okay, Ronnie? I get none of it, all right? Zero. We need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant. Amen? All right, let me ask the worship team to join me up here. We need to be vigilant. How do we be vigilant? First of all, be careful with whom you align yourself politically. Let's be clear. Listen, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, you can be an Independent, you can be a Libertarian, no matter what. That doesn't, none of that matters. What matters is allegiance to Christ. Not an allegiance to any political party or platform, to Christ. Because the day is coming when all of them, all of them are going to be burning incense to the emperor. Secondly, beware of the lies being told today in our culture. When Time Magazine and CNN start telling us that men can have babies too and that boys can change themselves into girls, it's a lie. Resist it. Reject it. Don't tolerate it. Don't accept it. It is wrong. And parents, train up your children in the way they should go. And listen, if, if, if your little boy comes to you and starts saying, I think I might be a little girl, train your child up in the way he should go and say, well, listen, Johnny, let's just be clear. You're not a girl. You're not a girl, okay? So let's start from that ethic. Let's start from that, and let's understand why you're feeling the way. Listen, we wouldn't tell an anorexic you know, a young person who says, you know, I just feel fat all the time, so I've got to purge. We don't say to them, well, what you're feeling must be right, so you go ahead and purge. No, we tell them it's not a body problem, it's a thinking problem, right? So you shouldn't be going into the bathroom and purging all the time. There's something wrong with the way you're processing. Amen? So we start with the ethic of truth with our children, and we teach them. Teach your children. Be intentional because I'm telling you, you go out and into the public schools, the things that are being taught to our children. 
Not just about social media, YouTube. Get your kids off social media. Get them off YouTube. Beware the lies. And finally, be firm in your allegiance to Christ and His Word daily. Let's stand together. Be firm in your allegiance to Christ and His Word daily. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, that before the day of Christ will come, there will be a great falling away. People talk about this great end time revival. I don't read that in the Bible. The Bible tells me there's going to be a great falling away. What is that? It's the church, those in the church, right? Because there can't be a falling away unless there's a first belonging to. So in the church, amongst Christians, there's going to be a falling away. Smyrna was persecuted because they refused to worship the emperor. They refused to pledge fealty to Pax Romana, and they suffered. When the time comes for you and me to burn the incense, Lord, help us be faithful. Amen? Lord, help us to choose the riches of eternity over the peace and the prosperity of this world. Amen? Come on, lift a hand to the Lord and just say, yes, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to be faithful. Help me, Lord. Come on, lift up that hand. Help, just tell, Lord, help me to be faithful to your word. Help me to be faithful to your truth, Lord. Come on, put a hand on your heart, a hand in the air, and say, Lord, help me, God. Help me, Lord, God. Give me the strength. Give me the endurance. Give me the resilience, Lord, God, to be faithful to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Come on, both hands up. Both hands to the Lord. Let's just surrender to the Lord right now. And just say, Lord God, I, I give you my life anew. I give you my, my life anew, Lord God. Take it, Lord God. Take it, Lord. Come on, take a moment. Take a moment. Let's worship the Lord. I am decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I am decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning. The cross before me, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Lord God, not to be lured into compliance with the culture of this world for the promises of peace and prosperity and acceptance. 
Help our eyes to be on eternity, Lord. The riches in heaven. The crown of life you have for us, Lord God. This world is not our home. This life is not the end. Thank you, Lord, for eternal life. Amen, church? Thank you. Come on, give the Lord. Just thank God. Thank you, Lord, for eternal life. Amen. God bless you. We're going to dismiss you. Listen, if you need some prayer, you're welcome to come on up here. We have some folks that will be glad to pray with you. You can step out of your seat. Just make your way to the front. We'll be here to pray for you. Parents, you can go ahead and get your kids. If you just want to linger for a few moments in the sanctuary to worship, you're welcome to do that. God bless you.